here uh, with Oliver Wakeman. Uh, thank you very much for agreeing to chat with uh, Metal Talk this evening. That was a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you for asking me. Well, it's, it's great. The um, Chaos by Gaslight, the new uh, box set that's been uh, released. See, there's two older albums and uh, a new uh, sort of one that mixes old and new. Um, why now to release everything? Uh, it, it started off as an idea um, following the, well, there's two things actually. I kept getting emails from people saying, um, why, why was it so difficult to get hold of the original two albums, which were Jabberwocky and The Hound of the Baskervilles? And um, so I'm just going to move my <laughs> copious bits of paper that are all knocking around it. Um, <clears throat> so we had this, uh, I kept getting these emails from people saying, why are you, you know, why aren't these albums available anymore? Um, and it's, it's ridiculous. The only place I can find them is on eBay or Amazon Marketplace. And somebody said, I've seen them for up to like a hundred quid a record. And I thought that's, that's just ludicrous. As, as much as I think they're worth it, it just seems like a little, uh, little over the top on the price wise. So I was sort of trying to think of what to do with them and whether there was a way that I could get them re-released. And in 2019, uh, some people might be aware that I released a record with Yes. I was a member of Yes back from 2008 to 2011. And in that period, we recorded a live album and actually did some recording. <laughs> Um, and those recordings have never got released. So I worked with the Yes Management and we put out a box set called uh, From a Page, which was a CD of the, the material that had never been released, which was essentially new Yes music. And the double, it turned into a double CD of the live album. And put this all into a box and it, it went down very well. Everybody was very pleased with it and the reviews were very, very good. Um, and so the Yes Management said to me, have you, have you got anything else that you think you could do? Um, and I said, well, actually, yeah, I have these two albums that I did with Clive Nolan back in 99 and 2002, which I've been looking for a, you know, a way to, to re-release them. And they said, well, we'd like to work with you on it. So I said, terrific. So as always happens, you know, you start looking at it and you sort of go, okay, okay, how much work is it to do these reissues? It's fine. It's a couple of albums, a couple of remasters, maybe some new stuff in the booklet, that'll be quite nice. Okay, that's a, that's a nice piece of work to do. And then they turned around and said, um, actually, do you have anything else? Do you have any other music that you and Clive might have done? And I said, well, we did start working on a third album, but the record company didn't have the funds available for us to, 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 to do it justice as we wanted to do it. Mm. So we, um, we we had to sort of abandon it and then Clive went off and carried on working with Arena who he'd been you know it's his band with Mick Pointer from the original yes. Meridian drummer and he went off and was continuing to work with Pendragon <clears throat> and I had my own band so I went out with my own band and we played music from Jabberwocky and Hound and then I got the phone call to join Yes and I joined the Straubs as well at the same time and then after that I started working with Gordon Gildrap and suddenly both our lives sort of went completely different directions and so this third album just sort of sat there. So when the, the management said, um, do you have anything? I sort of wrote to Clive and I said, look, they're asking if we've got any, any music. Um, and he said, okay, well, we'll have a look through some folders and see if we've got some demos and some bits and pieces and knocking around. And we thought we'd do a third CD that would be maybe a few demo versions of the original albums and maybe there might be a piece or two. 
And when we actually started looking through everything, we realized we had about 35 minutes of music for this third record that we'd abandoned. It wasn't finished, but it was in a, in a you know, half decent state. And then I was searching through and I found a couple of pieces that I'd have written for the Hand of the Baskervilles, which we'd never used because the, um, the story of Hand of the Baskervilles was such a long story that we had to take some pieces out that were um, great pieces of music, but weren't relevant to the story or didn't fit with the, the narrative. So we had these pieces of um, music left over and it was like, okay, well maybe we could look at using these. And then I sort of picked up one of the pieces and started to, to listen to it. And it was like, oh yeah, well maybe it could do with a bit of guitar here. So I found up my friend, David Mark Pierce, who's played in my band uh, as a guitarist. And said, would you add some guitar to this? And he said, yeah, 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 fine, fine. So I did that and then sort of went to another track and said, what about this track? Could you put some on here? And he went, yeah, yeah, send it across. And then and that, that sort of started the ball rolling and I'd send stuff to Clive, he'd send stuff to me, I'd add stuff to his tracks, he'd add stuff to mine. Dave would add some guitar and then it was like, I, you know, play a bit of bass and put some bass on it. And then, he's, you know, Clive had sung a couple of songs and I'd, I'd sung a couple of songs and I'm, I'm not the world's greatest singer. So um, it was like, oh, okay, well, maybe there's somebody else that could sing this song. So I got in touch with my, my old singer, Paul Manzi, who also played with Arena, now plays with the Sweet. So he sang on a couple of the tracks for us. And, and I got in touch with Gordon Gill track because I felt a piece needed a bit of classical. And suddenly we had a, <clears throat> a suite of, of guests throughout lockdown that had helped us put this, this project together. And it was, and suddenly this third album became this, this whole, it made the, the whole thing come to life. It means an awful lot more work suddenly trying to build an album sort of from just the pieces of music we had left mm. but it, it came out and um you know i sent it across to the management when we finished it and the, and they phoned me up and said we love it it's that third album is is as good as the other two it's it's, it's great and that was that was lovely you know after all the work that we put in that started off as well we'll, we'll put a few demos on it and you know being musicians, it's always like, well, that's not the best we can do. Let's let's do what the best we can do is. So that's how it all sort of came about, really. I mean, I've probably told you the whole history of the box set in one one go. You're probably there crossing out all your questions now because I've answered them. Um, but that's essentially the the arc of the of the story of how how the box set came to be. Excellent. As I said, you've got some uh, incredible guests scattered throughout, haven't you, with the whole box set? Yeah, you you mentioned uh, Paul. Um, and Andy Sears from uh, Twelfth Night, who uh, I used to see back in the back in the day, and uh, you've got um, Big P from uh, Pendragon on bass on one of the older. Yep. And he stayed at my uh, along with the, with the rest of Pendragon pre uh, Clive joining. Stayed at my mum and dad's house one night when they were playing in Norwich many many moons ago but you've got um you've got people like uh robert powell doing narration you've got um bob yeah. catley yeah yeah there's i mean there's a story there's a story behind every single person that played on the album i mean <clears throat> a lot of the pendragon threshold iq type players that are on the record were part of that scene back in the the sort of late 90s early 2000s when the sort of prog was beginning to bubble up again with these bands starting to come to the fore and <clears throat> they all worked in the same studios and we're all friends so we all sort of helped each other out and they came and played a lot of stuff but then we had um <clears throat> we had um my dad did the narration on the first album yes 
And that was because Clive turned around and said, would your dad play on the record? And I said, look, do you not think we've got enough keyboard players? <laughs> Me and you, we're pretty sure we can handle most things and we don't need him coming in and cluttering it up as well. Uh, and I mean that in the nicest sense. And um, so we said, well, why don't we get him to do the narration? He used to read stories to me as a kid. He's got a good speaking voice. So, um, yeah, so Dad did the narration on that. And when we got to do... Uh, but the thing with Jabberwocky, which was the first album, is it's a, it's a story based on a nonsense poem. So we mm. could kind of weave a story of our own around this, this poem. And Dad just came in, you know, so the songs told the story. And his narration came in and helped it flow between... But when we got to the Hound of the Baskervilles, that's a much more narrative story. It's a much more um, in-depth piece of piece of work. And I knew Robert Powell, and um, I remember saying to him, uh, "So I think I did This Is Your Life for My Dad, or something like that." We, it was some TV thing. I went up and had to go on, and Robert was there, and I got chatting to him, and um, he said to me, "I said, oh, if you ever need me for anything, let me know." And I thought. I wonder if that's just a nice passing comment of yes, yes, yes. And I said, well, actually, and he said, why? What have you got in mind? And I said, well, we're doing an album based on Hound of the Baskers. He said, yes, I'll do it. I said, Barnard, I didn't have to twist your arm. And he said, I've played Sherlock Holmes on the stage. This will make me one of the only actors that's done Sherlock and Dr. Watson. So he was, that's what, that was his driving force. So he became the narrator on that album. Bob Catley, I, I used to do a radio station, a work on a radio station years ago, doing um, a progressive music section in a rock show. And Bob Catley came down with Tony Clarkin when they put the Hard Rain band together and I interviewed them on the air. And then we went out and upset some people in a pub. I, I, I distinctly remember we went out for a night out after the interview and um, Bob and Tony are a bit party animals. And we ended up in a, a, a sort of clubs, a sort of a drinking club, sort of an old, um, a, a sort of say a private members club, but it, that gives you the wrong connotation. It was a, a members club for snook players and people that wanted to go and listen to live bands. It was that sort of club. And they had a snooker table in there. And I remember that the owner was very particular about his snooker table. And Tony and Bob came in and little known to the owner, they had ordered about a ton of Chinese food. And then they just... <laughs> delivery people just came in with all these yeah, on snooker table and the opening was going nuts and I remember and I just got talking to Bob and and, and he said oh I'd love to sing some other stuff and and so when the album came out I just phoned him up and said would you do it and then he returned a favor he phoned me up and asked me to join his band so I toured with him for a while after so every single person on that album there's probably a half hour story as to how they came to be a part of it then very few of the people, if any of the people on there were just people that we randomly said, oh, we got to have that person. You know, they were all people that we knew that we wanted to work with. Uh, so it's, and I think that comes across in the record. Everybody's there because they want to be doing it and having fun. It was a, not, there wasn't a lot of contracts and things flying around. Yeah, no, it, it, it really sort of shows. It was lovely hearing your dad read um, Shabawaki when I was listening to the, uh, the tracks uh, sort of having the box set come through um and you know hearing Andy Sears voice again that was you know great and just all the various contributions and uh yours and Clive's um P's, you know there's elements in a, in a good way of of your dad's playing in, in what you do and 
to Clive bring some of the sounds from Pendragon as well and, and Arena from there. So it's a great blend. How did you two actually get together in the first place? I, you're right about the keyboard playing. We have quite distinctive styles, and I think that's what makes it work. So it doesn't actually sound like um, two keyboard players just mashing a load of stuff together because we're quite individual players in our own way. I think, you, I mean, if you listen to the record, you can probably hear which bits are mine and which bits are Clive's. You know, we, we have quite dis distinct styles. But we, again, I, this goes back to the radio station that I worked in, and it was a long time ago. It must have been like 96, 95, something like that. And the, the guy that ran the rock show, uh, I used to go and do, as I said, I used to go and do this prog rock section. But it wasn't every week, it was every couple of weeks or something. And he phoned me up, the, the, rock, the guy that did the rock show, and he said, um, he said, I've got Mick Pointer coming in this evening to do an interview about his new band, a band called Arena. Um, and I went, all right, he said, so if you want to, you know, come up and do the, the prog bit and come and, and come and meet him. He said that'd be that'd be great. So I, I remember I was sitting at home, and it was quite a, it was quite a. Oh, I, I don't think I even had a car then. I think I was I was quite I was quite young, and it was a. I thought oh, radio stations are quite a long way away. I have to walk up there, and that means oh, it's dark and it's windy and it's wet. And I thought, oh, I'll just stay at home and have a beer. And then I sat down on the sofa and thought, do you know what? I've got a load of old Marillion twelve inches that have Mick Pointer on it. I really should take them up there and, and get him to give them a squiggle. Yeah. So I loaded up all these vinyls, put them under my arm, put them in a plastic bag and, and trudged off up to the radio station. And we had a great night. We got on really well. We had a really good chat. And then he said, oh, you, you'd get on really well with my, my the keyboard player in Arena. Uh, and I said, oh, who's that? He said, oh, it's a guy called Clive, Clive Nolan. He said, you'd, you'd get on really well. And I went, all right. He said, come on up, come up. I'm staying with him at the moment come up one weekend and we'll have a have a couple of beers and have a have a chat so I went, okay and um and i think that was sort of where we left it and then one day i just remember thinking i really ought to give him a call so i just phoned him up and he and he was ever so nice he just said hey why don't you come up and stay for the weekend I went, really he said, yeah yeah come up so i remember driving up there and you know we just hung out for a weekend in the studio chatting drinking having a laugh they were working on the second arena album at that time which i think was uh pride something like that and um so we got we just got on well and then he said oh come up again and so we i came up again and we got to know each other and i remember distinctly we were sitting in a pub i can't remember where the pub was but i remember it was a pub somewhere and we were all it was quite a few of us sat there and um clive said to me he said oh steve rothery from Marillion's going to pop in because he played a solo on the arena record and he said oh steve rothery's going to pop in and, and see us I remember thinking, oh, that's cool. I've never met Steve Rothery. And at that moment, Kaylee came on the jukebox. And, <clears throat> and I thought, oh, yeah. And then Steve Rothery walked through the door. And instead of just being really cool and just saying, hi, Steve, I'm Oliver, I just looked at him and went, did you put that on? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I couldn't. And as soon as I said it, I thought, he's either going to really like me or he's going to really hate me. <laughs> but luckily, we got on really well. And then... Clive, I think in that when we were sat in the pub, he just said to me, he said, he said, we should do something together. And I said, okay. And that was it. And that and, the, and it just carried on from there, really. We would meet up every couple of weekends, write a bit. I'd write a bit on my own. He'd write a bit. We'd get together. We'd mash bits together, see what worked. I'd go away. He'd do some arranging. I'd do some arranging. And eventually we, we had this thing crafted 
to a to a point that we said, oh, we we've got to do something with it now. And that's that's when it that's when it really really happened. But it was a it was it was a nice it was a nice way of waiting. It wasn't just a your two keyboard players. We think it'd be a good idea if you did an album. Here's some money. Go and write an album. It was actually a, a genuine, organic, sort of. yeah, organic, yeah, creation, which was which was lovely. And I, I think that's why I have such strong memories of the of the Jabwalki album. That's why all these stories come back to me so clearly because it was such a nice period of life. You know, when you sort of early on in your career and you're meeting all these wonderful people and you're just given free reign to create something, which is as a, you know, as a musician, is what you're always aiming for. I really enjoy the storytelling, not just uh, in the narration, but also, you know, the way that you put stuff musically in it, because obviously that's such a key thing. You're painting pictures with music, not just the words. And it is, you know, it is incredibly involving as you're listening to each uh, each album. It it, I mean, it's great fun to to write. I mean, I love writing music. I've written, I, I can't remember how many pieces of music I've written now, two, three hundred, something like that. And something about writing a piece of music to a novel, a, a literary piece, really is really lovely because you've got the, the prose there and you can look at it and you, you know, the one thing, I mean, my son won't read a book. He's a teenager. Try and get him to read a book. He just won't read. And I keep saying to him, you read a book. It's brilliant, the imagery that is created by just taking words from a page into your brain. And he's like, oh, I'll watch a film. And he watches a film and then he comes to me and he goes, oh, it was horrible. It was, and I said, yes, yeah, because you're watching something that is someone else's imagination. If you read a book, you're getting, your own imagination can filter it to the level that it feels comfortable. You can read a very nasty, horrible book, but your brain will filter it to a level that makes it, um, you know, understandable and and um, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you know, you can you you can sort of censor it to a level that you can understand it and still enjoy the story without getting too too overwhelmed by what someone else is thinking. And and I think when you're reading these stories, for me, it does the same thing. It creates all these imagery in my, in my head, all these thoughts that I think about how the characters are, and you start to think about how they interact. And then I'll often just sit at the piano, and there might be just a line from the story that just captures a moment and you just paint a picture around that moment. And mm. there's, uh, and I, I can remember certain ones, a picture of a lady from Hound of the Baskervilles. I remember just thinking about the bit where, where Henry Baskerville meets um, uh, Stapleton's sister. And, you know, he just is, he's almost dumbstruck. And, and that's where the whole song Picture of a Lady came from. He just, it was like all oh, that moment of him just meeting him. It's almost like she's just framed and she's just perfect. And it's just this picture. And then I sort of developed the story on thinking actually all the chorus lines are as, you know, when there's, when there's, uh, when there's uh, moon descends and when the sun sets and it, and it was, the story was about how he still loves her, whether it's the beginning of their relationship, middle of the day, end of the day, nighttime moon. And, you know, you get this sort of, imagery of the day passing and that's their life that could be together and you just and that's what writing is you just get these these imageries you take moments and you create a story around just that single moment yeah, yeah. and that's the bit i love about writing music is you you capture something and and doing that through a whole album is just great because you get 
you can pick tender moments you can pick angry moments you can pick confrontational moments and that's i mean that's just brilliant for a songwriter because you can go right i'm in a bit angry mood today and then you you read a bit of the book and you go actually that i can get why they're feeling angry there and you sit and, and it helps write you know it helps you helps you write things it's it's great fun yeah and um you know i think you also you work a lot with rodney matthews and obviously rodney has in his own way you know he brings his own imagination his own you know great artistic pictures and it also is one of those things that with the music and the images that he brings as well into projects you get such a, an incredible um world that you can step into i think obviously I'd, you have here uh, the uh, yes the vinyl community, which um, great album. In fact, my uh, review of of that is uh, is on your website, would you please? Oh, I, I, I snapped it. Did I? <laughs> it was very, it was obviously a nice review. Sorry, go on. I know. I was going to say, yeah. No, I worked with with Rodney. I mean, I've known Rodney for for many years. I mean, I am. Um, Back in back in the day when I was when I was younger at school, I I, I went off to art college, mm. and I um I did my diploma on Rodney Matthews. I wrote to him and just said, yeah, I want to do you as my final, my artist that I do my final um uh, project on, and he was ever so nice. He sent me a couple of books and some posters, and I interviewed him, and and we got on really well. And then you know we had sporadic contact over the years and then when we got to do when Clive and I first met we talked about doing this album we weren't sure what to do we thought well, we could do Jabberwocky that's a good one but we were both fans of, of Arthur, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and the idea of doing a Sherlock Holmes album really appealed as well and it was like we couldn't decide which Sherlock Holmes one to do and then we were also saying and it'd be really good to get nice packaging nice artwork let's do it it's something I've all subscribed to. Let's do it properly. Let's get nice yeah. artwork, nice booklet. Let's let's make a, a thing of it. And and uh, Clive said to me, he said, "Well, who do you think we could get to do the cover? Whether we get, you know, or whichever story we do." And I said, "Well, I know Rodney Matthews. I've got his number." Um, and he said, "Well, give him a call." So I went, "All right." So I picked up the phone and I phoned him up. And uh, he picked up the phone. I said, oh, Rodney, it's Oliver. And he went, oh, I haven't heard from you for a long time. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm just working in a studio on an album with a, uh, another keyboard player. I said, and we're, you know, we're trying to work out um, you know, what, what we're going to write. And we've got this couple of ideas of things. And we wanted to know, if, you know what, what it would take to get you to do the artwork for it. And he said, well, what are you coming up with? Because he's very particular about what he, what he paints for. Yeah. And I said, oh, we're thinking about doing a Sherlock Holmes novel or Jabberwocky. And he said, oh, I've just painted a picture on Jabberwocky. And it was like, what were the chances? And he, and he said, I'll send you the poster. And if you think it's nice, you know, then we'll do a deal for you to use it for the cover. And he sent, sent me this poster. And I remember opening it up and just thinking it was the most astounding piece of artwork it was just amazing and I loved it and I still love it to this day not just because it's on you know an album that I did it's my favorite picture he's ever done I have it framed outside my studio wall so it's the picture I see every time I walk in here and um yeah and and so we used it uh, on that and then you know we've just kept in touch over the years and we've done oh 
don't know, two or three different records together now. It's, it's great. And we do art and music shows where we go out and he does a gallery showing and I sit and play the, the piano. It's, 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 it's nice. I, I get on very well with Rodney. Yeah, because obviously you uh, also did music for the latest project, uh, the book, didn't you? That um, Yendo, yes. Created Sarah Matthews, his wife, did the narration. I know you did the uh, the music for as well. Yeah, they just finished doing it as an animated film. It's my first ten, my first film soundtrack actually, and it is interesting how that came about because they they just did it as a originally it was the narration mm. to go with the the book. That you that the that they were selling, and um, they said, well, when we do it as an audio book, could you put a few little musical motifs in and around this twenty-minute thing? And as always, I sort of started playing a little bit, tingled a couple of ideas, and thought, you know, I'm, I don't really. I've listened to a lot of audio books where you get a little bit of dramatic music for twelve seconds, and then it disappears, and then it the same bit comes back about four minutes later, and then it turns up again. And you sort of think either play music or don't. It seems a bit pointless doing these little incidental bits. So I started writing a whole piece and I wrote a 17, 18 minute piece of music over about three or four days. And they kept writing to me saying, have you done the, the little incidental bits yet? And I said, oh yeah, I'm nearly, nearly done. And I think they thought I just wasn't going to do it. And then I said, after about a week of them phoning me up saying, look, we really need to have this. I said, look, I'm gonna send you something tonight. And I remember sending it to them and then sitting on the sofa thinking, I hope they don't hate it. <laughs> and then they just phoned me up straight away and just went, how did you do that? What, what, why did you, what? And I said, do you not like it? And they said, no, we love it. It said, but it makes us want to do more with the book now. We can't, we've got this nice, you know, this great piece of music that now works with the whole story with Sarah's voice telling the story we're now thinking maybe we can do something with it. And so that's when the whole animation thing came into play because they already had the soundtrack and they already had, you know, so they could make the imagery work to the soundtrack, which was which was the unusual way of doing it, but it was lovely. Mm -hmm. But it started from the right place because of course I worked the soundtrack to the voice telling the story and the book. So I knew what the imagery was going to be. Yeah. So that was great fun. Yeah, I love working with them. It's, it's, it's always, it's always, I mean, you know, it doesn't get better than working with somebody like Rodney Matthews, does it? He, he turns around and says, here's a load of artwork and you write some music for it. <laughs> of course, I know that you um, wrote and played a your a piece for them for their wedding up in Scotland. Yeah, that was um, a piece called November Wedding that appeared on the, the Trinity oh, album. Oh, um, yeah, that came about because I, they'd asked me, um, we'd done it, I think, I can't remember whether we, done one of these music shows I don't think we had I think we've been talking about it and then they said Rodney said oh we said I'm I'm gonna get get married I said oh brilliant and he said um but would you would you play at the wedding I said oh what you mean just what play a piece he said no would you do the whole evening entertainment would you sit at the piano and play he said that because Sarah loves you know piano music she loves stuff that your dad's done loves Waitman stuff would you do it and I said yeah okay great and um it was brilliant so I flew up to um Scotland and then I had to play I played in the church so I played whilst Sarah came down the aisle I played for the guests while they were waiting for the ceremony to start I played at the end 
played a hymn and then it got to the evening and then I, I played um, a set in the evening. And, and as part of that, I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to buy them the traditional present from, from my wife and I for, for them. And I thought, what can I do that's a bit different? And I sat at the piano and, and came up with a couple of things. And I thought, why don't I write them a piece of music? That'd be really nice. So I wrote them this piece of music and recorded it and just burnt it onto a CD and put it into the wedding card for them so that they got it on their wedding day. But I didn't tell them that because they weren't gonna open the card until after their wedding. So when it got to the evening, I said, and now the piece I'm going to do is the piece I've written for you for your wedding. And I played it and it's quite a fast piece. It's quite, um, yeah. quite intricate. And as soon as it finished, Rodney just looked at me, pointed at me, went, that's going on the album. And it was like, okay, all <laughs> right. So we then had this, had to rearrange it for the for the album which was which was great to put a full band version of it together and then they needed a bonus track for the vinyl and then he said um could you do something different with it again and i obviously i'd recorded the original version for their wedding but i said i don't think you should put that on the album and they said well why not i said because that was a special thing from me to you let's do something else for the album so that the one that I've given to you isn't a commercial thing it's it's it was a gift you know let's keep it as a, a, the only version that we'll ever you'll hear is the, the one that you'll hear so when it came to the album version I said well why don't we do a piano duet and he said oh well, who'd you do the duet with I said oh, I'll do it with myself I'll just write two piano parts I'll write a secondary piano part for it so I ended up doing that so I wrote two piano parts for November Wedding so there's this really intricate double piano version of November Wedding as well as if it wasn't complicated enough on one piano <laughs> throw yeah. a second one into the mix and see what happened yeah but it's you know that was very good I remember Rodney phoning me up I think when I sent him some of the parts for that album he just wrote back and he said he said oh, this, is, this is great he said it's really helping bring this whole thing to to life it's adding another texture to the music and it's you know that's that's what you want to do you know it's not about you know taking over a project or doing something it's becoming an intricate part of the project and making it the best it can be yeah, absolutely. I um I had worked with your dad for a while actually on the Four Churches Festival sort of when he had those with oh, yes. Norfolk and so uh, yeah. you know your dad was endlessly entertaining uh, with his stories when he, he comes out with one story and you think you can't top that and then he does with the <laughs> next story and I've, I've met Adam a, a few times. Um, was it always meant to be that you know? you both of you were going to follow in your dad's footsteps um i don't know actually he's never encouraged us to do it um i mean he, he, my mum and him divorced when i was about five so we didn't see that for a long time until we we're about 12 again you know there was a good good few years um i mean i remember i mean adam and i have taken very different part. adam's gone very much into this the session path and plays with lots of different bands and stuff whereas i've gone always i've always been a writer i've always been a you know a, a, what i consider a solo performer um and but you know adam's released stuff but we do, we have different pathways which is quite nice because it means we're not sort of technically competing with each other which is good but um i remember we had a grand piano in the lounge and I remember just sitting at it once and just banging my hands on it as a four-year-old or something. And somehow I hit a hit a chord and it was obviously a perfect chord. I hit the first, third and the fifth and an octave somehow by accident. And I went, oh, that sounds great. Oh, I can play the piano. 
and then tried to do it again and obviously it just sounded like a, a load of a mess and I thought I'm gonna have to learn how to do this properly and I just remember being that was the moment trying to find that chord again and it was that was that's what inspired me as a kid to do it and then I started playing you know guitars and bass guitar and keyboards has always been my main instrument but then I decided I liked the idea of writing so learn other instruments so it could help me write uh, and that's really you know that's what that's what's happened and I think coming from that sort of family where there's a legacy of work which which dad has I mean it's it's great I, mean, I was always very proud of the fact that, that yes phoned me up and asked me to join I didn't caught the work and the same with the straws they phoned me up and said we'd like you to join so it was gratifying that I'd obviously got to a, 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 a an ability level that, that they felt they you know I was I was up to doing taking over his, his his position in the bands which was which was really nice um but I think I I just love it it's one of those things you know I I get bored very easily I find it very difficult I'm I have a short attention span on lots of things. I, I find it very difficult to sit down and watch a whole film in one go because I'm, very, I'm always too busy to do something. Yeah. But with music, I can stay focused in that zone for hours and it just passes without realizing. That's what makes me realize this is what I enjoy doing because I can just get completely lost in a piece of music. And suddenly four hours have gone by, five hours have gone by and you don't even realize, you think it's just 10 minutes and it's, and that's all it is. And I've, so I've always felt that. I've always felt this is what I want to do and what I what I think I've got a an ability to do. And and you know, people that like my music obviously agree. They think that it's it's you know, I, I'm obviously doing something right for some. Um, and I think you know, my brother's the same. He just he enjoys he enjoys playing. And um, I mean, you know. <laughs> Every people that I meet when I do shows and stuff, they sort of like, well, that's really great. Love that record. How do you do that? How do you do that? In the household or when we all meet up, it's the last thing we talk about because we all do it. So sitting down and writing a song or doing some lyrics or doing a show, it doesn't really, it doesn't really mean a lot to anybody because it's what we all do. It sort of reminds me of the old bicycle repairman sketch from Monty Python, which is, you know, everybody in the family can play music and writes music. So if somebody turns around and says, I wrote a song today, it's all right, oh yeah, what else? And then somebody else turns around and says, oh, oh, by the way, I, you know, I'm, I don't know, I fixed the tire on my car. Everyone will go, what? <laughs> you know, you know, it's that sort of family. Yeah. Now our time is almost up, unfortunately, um, but, just uh, briefly, there there's dozens more things I could chat with you about, um, like you know mutual mutual friends, etc., 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 and uh, so many things. But uh, what uh, what are your plans for the future? Well, um, obviously, getting this this record out, it comes out in a couple of weeks, um, and that's taken up an awful lot of my time. I'm currently working on two other projects that are in their sort of infancy at the moment, which will hopefully come to light. But there, as always these things, there's always tons of stuff bubbling and you don't know which one's going to take off. And I've got two projects at the moment that are looking quite positive. Um, the record company have asked me whether I would do another box set, um, which I'm gonna start planning, which will be, this next one will probably be on the work that I've done with guitarists. So it'll be the albums that I did with Steve Howe and with Gordon Giltrap into a box set.
which I'm quite looking forward to doing actually, because again, it's a, it's a different type of music to the mm. stuff that I've done with Clive and the stuff I did with Yes. So I'm looking forward to doing that and digging through the archives and seeing what, what I've got that has never seen the light of day. Um, uh, and then I've, sort of, I've, I've been working on a little instrumental album of my own, which I've been wanting to do for a long time, which is pieces of music. I do a lot of commission work for people where they write to me and ask me to do pieces of music for their family or their children or a special birthday or something like that. So I've written lots of pieces for people. And I've also written pieces of music for, for my family and I sort of thought it might be quite nice to put the album together, which is all those pieces that are written for people. So I'm, that's 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 the piece of work that I've sort of in the back of my head that I'm slowly working on. So I've nearly finished writing all the bits and at some point I'll sit down and start to record them properly. So that's that's the next, that's the slow burner project as it were. The other ones are things that have got a defined you know, process, but that, that's the one, that's my slow burner project, which is the one I'm sort of looking forward to getting my teeth into. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. There were so many other questions and uh, so many other things, but hopefully uh, it won't be too long before we're all uh, out and about again and I'll pop over to see Sharon Rodney again and uh, spend some oh, time. Oh, yes, that's Maybe just... see you and, uh, you know, and uh, I can ask some of these questions then. So Absolutely. Well, we'll do, just just call me, call me at some point. We'll do a part yeah. two. Will do. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, Oliver. And, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the next volumes and and oh, by Gaslight's fantastic and uh, I would recommend everyone go and uh, grab a copy. That's very kind of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Well, I guess you didn't realize.